Did you ever dream of being able to be part of a humanitarian and medical relief trip? When seeing the devastating images of war, of conflict, of earthquakes and hurricanes, have you ever wondered if you had the courage, the stamina, possessed the tools and the know-how to get up and go to help reduce human suffering? Where could you find other like-minded people? You've come to the right place. Welcome, my friends, to the Humanitarian MD Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Muni Tazi. I'll introduce you to incredibly inspiring people who, just like you and I, are ordinary people who volunteer their time to get up and respond to natural disasters. You'll hear stories that will move your heart, that will inspire your soul, but most of all, will teach you the tools to respond effectively in these situations and help create sustainable change. I would like to welcome you to the very first the inaugural podcast of Humanitarian MD. I am so thrilled that you can join us. And my hope is that this is a place where you'll be inspired by the stories that I would love to share with you. Not only stories that I've experienced myself, but really the stories of the incredible human spirit that we all share. As I'm recording this, our world community is still trembling with the effects of the pandemic of COVID-19. And I really would like to dedicate this very first podcast to all the victims of COVID-19, whether you were directly or indirectly affected, whether you yourself were ill, hospitalized, as I was, or your family members were sick, or lost their lives, my heart goes out to you. Whether you lost your job or your livelihood, or you lost your business, whether you find yourself as a parent now having to homeschool your children, whether you are, like here in New York City, you are alone in your apartment and you have very little social contact, my heart goes out to you. These past few months, this past year, of 2020, and now we're well into 2021. I think we all have had moments where we came in contact really with, with fear, with anxiety about our future, about not only ourselves, our spouses, our children, our parents, our livelihoods. And as scary and as devastating as the effects have been, in many instances, as we all know. For example, as I speak today, there are nearly 450,000 deaths just here in the United States alone. A number that, that just really, it just sends chills up my spine. I know that I could have been one of them. I am a 
frontline doctor here in Manhattan in urgent care, and, and I was very sick myself. I'm grateful I, I survived it. I'm grateful my children still have their mother. But I'm aware of the difficulties that many, many people are facing. And yet, in the midst of this tragedy, the misery, the heartache, I think we all have seen examples, perhaps experienced it, of people and communities coming together and serving each other by showing one another just random acts of kindness. Every single day when I go into New York City, I see these acts of kindness because there are so many people and there's so many moments that you can witness it. And in fact, when you, I've noticed it over the past few years, when you set out to, to see these moments of kindness, you see it everywhere. People extending generosity towards one another, whether they're helping their neighbors with meals or some extra cash to put food on the table, whether people are helping each other by serving at soup kitchens and food centers, whether people help each other by driving each other to places that they need to be at, whether people bring food or goodies for the medical community in hospitals, or go and thank the essential workers in grocery stores or on the ambulances, or praise and really encourage the teachers of their local schools. I'm sure we've all witnessed these acts of kindness. These are humanitarian acts, because at the end of the day, we are all humans. Now you may ask, why? Why would I start a podcast about humanitarian work? In January of 2010, the world was shocked by incredibly powerful images coming out of Haiti. An earthquake had devastated that beautiful island. And because of modern technology, we could literally, within seconds, see the far-reaching devastation. We saw the tragedy, the suffering, the cries of mothers, of fathers, of children. We could see the wounds. We could see the, the crushed buildings. For many, many years, I had imagined that I would be doing humanitarian work as a professional. In fact, I, I came to the United States from the Netherlands. I was born and raised in the Netherlands. And I came here to do my pediatrics and my subspecialty training in HIV and AIDS with the goal of really joining either Doctors Without Borders or UNICEF or any of these wonderful agencies that provide humanitarian and medical relief. But life had a different course in mind. And as I got married and had three wonderful children, I found myself in private practice and getting more and more bogged down. Life also challenged me and my family and our oldest son at the time when he was only four, his name is Max. He's an incredible human being. But he got violently ill when he was four. In short, he had an allergic reaction to an antibiotic. And as a result, he developed something called Steven Johnson syndrome, where your skin and mucous membranes become inflamed 
And he unfortunately progressed and progressed, and he went into this medical condition which we call toxic epidermal necrolysis. Somehow the brain then sends off a signal to kill off all its mucous membranes and all the skin on a body. It was a... um, It was a brutal time. As a mother, I had to sit beside my then four-year-old child who was so ill that he was placed on full life support for almost six weeks. It was extremely humbling as a physician to sit at his side and to just hear the sounds of the ventilator pushing air into his almost lifeless body. I used to count the amount of IVs and lines and tubes that would come out of him and be placed inside of him. It truly was a harrowing time for for us. And at the same time that I had my beloved son in the hospital in this burn unit at Cornell. God bless all of the nurses and doctors and everyone that works in that burn unit. They are absolute angels. But at the same time that I had my son in the burn unit, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, my beloved father was in the intensive care unit in the Netherlands. His non-Hodgkin's lymphoma had progressed. And I remember asking God, okay, now what? What am I supposed to do here? My dad is in the intensive care unit. My son is on full life support on the other side of the ocean. Where do you want me to be? And very quickly, I, I knew that I had to be with my son. It was very clear. I was his mother, and I was to be at his side, no matter the outcome. During those very, very painful, intensive, and harrowing six weeks in that burn unit, In the absolute moments of despair and confusion and pain, I, myself and my family, we were the recipients of such incredible kindness. Kindness, generosity, love. And what surprised me more than anything is that that kindness and that generosity came often from from people that were just absolute strangers. People who would hear the story of this four-year-old boy that was on full life support and lost all his skin. Because you know, Max lost 80% of his skin and mucous membranes and had multi-system failure. 
this story apparently raged through the community and uh, really sent a shockwave. I was really not aware of this as I was constantly in the hospital. At the time we had our second child, Maya, she was two years old. Our third, uh, third child had not been born yet. So I would spend a whole day, the whole night, and the whole next day in the hospital while my then husband would work. And then he would come and spend the entire night and I would relieve him and then spend another two days. And we would continue on in this, in this way so at least he could work and one of us could stay with our beloved Max. The acts of kindness that I experienced in those weeks were so profound. They moved me so deeply that the reverberations of those acts of kindness really became the fertile ground upon which I was able to respond to the disaster unfolding on January 12th, 2010 in Haiti when I saw those images of just horror and pain and suffering, I was reminded that in my dar darkest hour, where I had my father and my son in the intensive care unit, and I experienced my son in so much excruciating pain and organ after organ failing, and his fever just raging through his body, 104, 105, for many, many weeks. He bled so much that he needed blood transfusion after blood transfusion. When I would come home for the one night to be with Maya, my two-year-old, it wasn't uncommon for me to come to my front door. I, I would be so exhausted to find a pot of food with a small note saying, you don't know me but I heard about your son and I'm so moved and I thought you would be hungry coming home. So go ahead, here is some rice and beans. Much love, someone in the community. Things like that would just touch me so deeply. Another night I came home just to find a big truck a big truck from the blood bank parked around the corner of our house. And as I saw people going in and out of that truck or the bus, I asked like, oh my God, what, what happened? Why is the blood bank here? And this one person said, oh, you don't know? I said, no, what happened? I, I, I'm so sorry, I just got home. Oh, they said, oh, there's a little four-year-old boy and he's bleeding to death and we've all come together. There have been more than 250 people, just the neighbors here in, in Hoboken, New Jersey, where we lived at the time. And we've all decided to donate blood so that hopefully he'll have enough blood. And I remember staring at this, this young man who was telling me this story. He clearly didn't know me and didn't realize I was the mother of this four-year-old child. And what he just told me, just, oh my goodness, it was like 
a warm blanket uh, that was wrapped around me and this blanket of love from complete strangers, a blanket of hope, a blanket of feeling like we were not left to ourselves. I was feeling so alone because, you know, I'm not from the United States and my whole family still lives in the Netherlands. So I was going through this uh, alone. Two of my sisters, they later came over and they so lovingly dedicated weeks of their time also sitting beside Max. But that day, it, it was so meaningful to me. I told the young man, oh my goodness, you're speaking about my son. It is my son that you're all giving blood for. And this young man started crying. He was so moved in return. And I still remember our embrace. We both were moved. I, I can tell you a million stories, at least. One of them, in particular, I will always hold dear. Towards the third and fourth week, our son Max was deteriorating rapidly. There was very little hope for him to survive, as this horrific inflammation was raging through his little body. I just sat there and I, all I could do was pray, to pray to the divine, to that unknowable source that many of us call God or divine love. And this lovely lady who came in and every day, God bless her with clean and uh, come and clean Max's room. She once again came in and because it was so quiet we could only hear the sounds of the breathing machine and all the IVs and the sounds of his heartbeat. I suddenly noticed that she was she was singing. She was singing very quietly Somehow I was so moved by her presence and I, I watched her as she was cleaning the floors of this isolation room that my son was in at the burn unit at Cornell. I listened to her for quite a while because this glow was about her that just I couldn't get my eyes off of her. At one point when she came close to my chair where I was sitting, I said, my dear, what are you singing? She looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, ma'am, I'm no doctor. I am no nurse. I cannot do anything. All I do is clean the floors of the hospital. It doesn't mean anything to your son. But what I can do is pray to my God. And that's what I do when I come into your room, to your son's room. 
I pray and I pray and I pray to bring your little boy back to you. So I pray. I will never forget that lady. She was so sincere and so loving in her intention to ask her creator to show a miracle, to show a blessing, and to bring back, back to us. I have so many more stories I could share, but this is the first episode, and I want to show you that every single act of kindness has a reverberation and it has an effect. Whether it's instant, where the person who commits the act of kindness feels it directly because they get a thank you or a smile, or whether that takes years, as it did with me, all that kindness created this force within me when that earthquake happened in Haiti on January 12, 2010, and I kept seeing the images of these suffering children and mothers crying out because they couldn't save their children who were crushed in the buildings that collapsed. Something within me was born. It was a determination that I needed to go and do something to help just even if I could just be there and tell this mother, I care, I give a damn. To make a long story short, and we will explore in the next episodes how, how uh, these trips came about, but just through social media, together with a friend in Hoboken, we were able to organize a team of 19 doctors and nurses, most of whom I didn't even know. But five days later, we went over there with thousands of pounds of humanitarian and medical relief items. And we were able to run clinics and help the local physicians in the hospitals and provide relief to many, many people. We provided tools for them to have their own clinics and we went back many, many times, both for medical and later on for mental health and educational projects. And this set off this great passion within my soul. And so every time there were hurricanes or earthquakes or anything that I was able to take some time from work and organize people together and respond with a medical humanitarian relief trip, I would do it. And very quickly, I found like-minded physicians. And in particular, there's this group of 10 women physicians ever since the earthquake in Puerto Rico that we found each other. And as soon as anything of magnitude happens in this world, we are already texting each other and calling each other and trying to set up ways that we can be of service to our fellow human family. So 
as I end this very first episode, I just would like to remind you, as a proverb says, the highest form of wisdom is kindness. I've been the recipient of kindness. I have practiced kindness. And I can truly tell you it benefits both the giver and the receiver and all the people that witness that act of kindness. 